What a day. It's a day full of uh, mixed emotions, for sure. We're just happy to be together, but as you may have heard, or maybe you're just hearing now, we have a transition happening today, so later on in the service, at the end of the service, we'll be saying a sad farewell to Pastor John Mark and Natalie, Pastor Natalie, and we are, uh, we are going to make sure we bless the socks of, off of them as they leave this place uh, after many years of ministry here. Um, but we do want to make you aware of some of the things that are coming up in regards to youth ministries. And so we have an announcement today to say that we have placed as a, an interim position in place for our uh, youth department. And we are, we are so pleased at how Holy Spirit's been working behind the scenes. And he laid it on the hearts of two people who are very familiar to you, but um, who are willing to step into an interim role to help keep the wonderful foundation that's there by Pastor John Mark and by Pastor Natalie, but to continue on uh, in what we're do- seeing God do in the youth department. So we're, we're so grateful to be able to say that um, pastors Jeremy and Melissa Albrecht are going to step in as the interim youth ministers here uh, during this season. So thank you. We appreciate them. They're parents, so they're well invested in this, but Jeremy is also uh, the, the director of the youth and, and leadership development at our district office, and, um, and so he is definitely a busy guy, but this might be at a time when he's able to be able to step into a few more things for the sake of the next generation, and so we're grateful for Pastor, Pastors Melissa and Pastor Jeremy for just blessing uh, our youth in this coming season, so thank you. The family of God. It's bigger than just one church, isn't it? It's a big family. I don't think I knew as a child how big this church family really was. All I knew is this country church that I attended to called Innisfil Community Church. I grew up there. Um, It was actually a a church plant off of uh, Highway Pentecostal Church, which is where your pastor and our friend, Pastor Paul and and Allie went uh, from here. But... The Innisfil Community Church, long established, my parents move us to this church, and that is where I, I come to know Jesus. And I remember the day that I was baptized in water. Notice we have over here, if, you, if you're unfamiliar, this is the baptismal tank over here that Calvary has, but I remember a similar baptismal tank in our home church. I was eight years old and very blonde, and not by the hairdresser. I was just blonde. <laughs> And my hair was short, and I was just really small. And, uh, and, and so they brought me into the baptismal tank, and I had to stand on this wobbly floating stool that was because the water was in there and the, this, this, this plastic stool that I had to stand on so that I could be seen over the baptismal tank. And in fact, there was a question whether I was being seen over the baptismal tank because it was still that short. I was a child who was being baptized and it was, it was this great moment. And we had our baptismal services in the evening service and so there was multiple people being baptized. I remember my aunt, Brenda, was the one who, uh, she got nominated somehow. I think I said, I want Aunt Brenda to be there when I come out of the baptismal tank because we needed one person who was the designated towel holder, right? They were ready for you. So she was there, and I I remember my parents being in the front row, taking pictures. I don't have a picture, though. That's too bad, isn't it? Uh, And so my parents were there cheering me on, and uh, and we were having this, this church moment, and the family of God was very present. I don't remember everybody's faces. It's a bit of a blur. It wasn't that big of a church, but still, a blur in my young memory. 
I remember, though, that there were Sunday school teachers there. I remember there were ushers who always shook my hand like a grown-up. Uh, I remember the piano player smiling while I came up to the baptismal tank. And I remember in that moment how important it was to give my life to Jesus. That part, I think I comprehend it. I knew that I loved Jesus so much that I needed to give my life to him and confess before everyone that I wanted to be baptized. And, and, and I'm saying this as an infomercial a little bit, Pastor Kathleen, <laughs> because we have a baptismal service coming up. And some of you, I'm telling you, week after week, people have said, I've recommitted my life to the Lord or I've given my life to Jesus in this last season that we've, this fall season that we're in. You need to be baptized. It's a wonderful moment. And what you, you'll know when you make that choice, that brave choice to be baptized uh, in, in water as a confession of your faith, you'll know that this is a moment that is important to you and your faith. What you might not comprehend is that there's also an entire family who are welcoming you into the body of Christ. And that family goes beyond these walls. It's a really big family. It's a wonderful family. And so I want to encourage you, if you're interested in being baptized, to make sure that you reach out to us uh, and, or go online. There's a, I think there's a link right up on the screen there. If you want to be baptized, this is your day. Or scan the little wonderful thing that Kathleen worked on. <laughs> I, too, am not that technical. Uh, we're not joining an organization or club. After all, it's much bigger than the people that we grow up with. In that moment, I didn't pay for a membership. I don't know, did you pay for your membership? No. Or there was no registration for this team. In fact, any money I had or would ever have would make no difference about being a part of this family. It wasn't just a social circle or a friendship group because when arguments or disagreements come up between friends, well, those ties become severed. But no, this relationship is sealed by something that's so much more thicker than water. It's secured by sacred blood, the blood of Jesus, and we are a part of the family of God because God the Father so loved that he sent his son. Amen. I want to turn in, the, in our Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 11 to 13. Now, we have been in a series called One Calvary. We've talked about the body of Christ, how Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body, and we need each other. We need all the parts to function. We also talked last week about the bride of Christ, the bride making herself ready for the bridegroom, the bridegroom being Jesus, and how sweet and beautiful and glorious that return will be one day. But this week, we're talking about being children of God and how that makes us a part of the family of God. So let's read the scriptures together. Now that you found them, John chapter 1, verse 11 to 13. He, being Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now we are family, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers in the faith, not just a part of our local expression of the family of God, but a part of the greater family of God. The last part was my part added. But we are born of God. 
It's not just sentiment either, the, this, this excitement about being part of the family of God, because it's the fact that it's the truth of the family unites us under the same banner as believers. And as a faith family this morning, um, we are going to continue to unpack this idea of what it means to be one and what it means to walk out this expression of family. But let's go to our theme verse for the for this series, okay? Let's read it together as we have before, as a sense of being in unity together. So Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 3 says this. You can read it with me. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word by the church family. There's something about being unified, and I love how Pastor Kathleen, just prompted by the Holy Spirit, shared her story this morning about how families aren't always unified, especially on the way to church. Uh, How many know that family doesn't equal perfect? Amen? Yeah. But today we're talking about the family of God, and we're not suggesting the family of God is perfect. (laughs) We really aren't. I have a tendency to look at the family of God. I mentioned this last week that I have always had just, it's just right ingrained in me, but I think it's from the Holy Spirit because I've always loved the body of Christ. I've always loved the bride of Christ. And the family of God to me gets mixed in with the sentimental of of growing up in church. But we're not suggesting that the family of God is any way different than a regular family, that it's not, that it's perfect. It has its imperfections. And so the first question I want to share, ask ourselves this morning is this, what makes us family? And it's a reminder to some of us, but for some of you who may be new to faith, you might be like, well, how do you get into this family? Or how are you, is everyone in the family of God? Let me give you the criteria. It comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. You know, this really important piece of this passage, as, uh, as the writer of Romans is explaining, he says, your adoption to sonship, let me explain what that means a little culturally in the time. You see, the Greek word for adoption to sonship is a term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. It's also given later on in verse 23, this, your adoption to sonship. You see, adoption was a coveted category. It was a, it was a coveted, coveted status in this Roman culture. Let me explain. Some of the most powerful people in Rome were elevated to their position, often through adoption. You know the Christmas story where you say, 
uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I'm sure I, I learned that in like BG Club or something. But um, some of the most powerful people, like Caesar Augustus, he came into rulership because his granduncle, who was Julius Caesar, you might recognize that name, hadn't legal, had legally adopted him. When he legally adopted him and gave him all the rights and privileges of being in charge. Julius Caesar, similar to other uh, rulers of the day, were considered a god to their people. So to be adopted by a god, that was a powerful imagery. Now those who are following any trends, you can now count this as one of your references to the Roman Empire of the week. And if you don't know what that means, just hang around with some younger people for a bit. So the question is, what makes us a family? First of all, it's our adoption. Our adoption makes us family. You're chosen, you're loved, and you're provided for by him. You are one who is adopted and a part, a full legal heir to the throne. John 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Galatians 4 verse 7 says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. There's that term again. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That's like an endearing term. So now it's not just a legal status. It's not just uh, the rights that you have, but you have the relationship so intimate with God that you can call him Daddy, God, Father, Abba. You are no longer, verse 7 says, slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Did you know that you're a child of God if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You become part of this family. Do you know I knew a family once who uh, their parents were aging and we were visiting one time at, with their, their family and offspring and they were talking about the fact that the older siblings in this family, when they would come to visit, and some came from out of town, when they came to visit, they started to do this thing. Now hold on, hold on to your seats for this one. They would take little pieces of tape, write their name on it, like as a child, like their name. They weren't a child anymore. They were just, they were the grown up children. They'd write their name on a piece of tape and then they would stick it to the back of furniture and special antiques that they wanted to be theirs when their parents passed away. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that feels a little tacky to me. But their mother, who knew it was going on all this time, she would laugh at it and she'd say, I can't take it with me. It's not, it's not for me, it's for you anyways one day. And so they just thought, okay, well we're gonna start saying which is our favorite. I'm gonna check my piano at home and later on make sure no one's put their name on the bottom of my piano for when I'm gone, but this was bold. This was possibly a very um, 
brave and arrogant thing to do. (laughs) But they had this boldness because they were heirs. And they already knew it was in their parents' heart to give them. And they were their children, and so they just laid claim to it. (laughs) You are a child of God, and your inheritance is salvation and eternity and abundant life. This is a powerful truth, and this is worth writing, not just on a little sticky on the things you want to be yours, but on a a post-it note or on a wallpaper on your cell phone or somewhere where you can remind yourself that you are a child of God. You are an heir with Christ. You know, there's a lot of talk right now these days, even this week, about rights. But let me tell you, this is a right we don't demand. We, We rather embrace it as children of God. And the family of God can remain confident in every season of change, whether it be locally in our, in our own body of believers or whether it be on a grander scale. Every season of change, we can remain confident because the Father's love for us has never changed. Amen. The Father's love never changes. You are a part of the family of God. Embrace it. Embrace the beauty of being loved by God the Father. Secondly, the question is, what makes us, what characterizes our family? What makes us recognizable to others? This is really important, isn't it? Have you ever seen those fish symbols that are on the back of bumper stickers sometimes? Or you may have heard about it. I mean, uh, the Christian fish symbol comes from the, the word ichthus. And during the early church persecution, uh, Christians used it as a, a symbol to identify one another without endangering one another. Interesting, right? Uh, they, they would draw, when they would come across another person who they were wondering as they were talking back and forth that they were a safe person, if they believed what they believed about Jesus, they would draw, uh, if you look up here in the image of the, the fish, they would draw one arc of the fish. They would draw the one arc, perhaps in the sand or, or with their fingers, so someone would see them doing that. And the other person, if they knew, and they were a believer, they would draw the other part of the arc to create the fish symbol. The cross, it became a symbol. It was once a symbol of torture and death. It, was, it, it had become a symbol of, has become a symbol of grace and forgiveness over the years. And at one point, you kind of had this, this note. You knew if someone was wearing a cross on their necklace or if they had a cross tattoo or something, you would say, okay, they must have some kind of faith connection. They must be full of grace. You, you, it's hard to tell, isn't it, even now, what the cross means to others. But when Jesus spoke about what made his disciples recognizable. It wasn't about a symbol they could draw in the sand. It wasn't about a, a chain they'd wear around their neck. He said that they will know you by this. John 13, verse 34 to 35, a new command I give you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone, turn to someone and say Everyone. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
First John chapter 4 talks about discerning the spirit and what's from God. This is an important part, important part of our church body and, and our fellowship and to make sure that we're discerning and following scriptures. And, and he goes from this part about discerning the spirit, what's from God, what's not from God. Uh, but then he swings right into how to respond to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. He says this, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, referring to the body of Christ, does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sisters. Whew. That might be a hard pill to swallow. In a time when polarization has seeped into every aspect of culture, and even the church, more than ever, we must love one another. That's what it means to be disciples of Jesus, to love one another. What does that love look like? Romans 12, verse nine to 10 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. You know, I actually like some wording in this version. In Romans 12 in the ESV says, let love be genuine. I love that. I love that. Let it be genuine. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo the other person. Now, I've been in circles where this honoring thing gets a little out of hand. It's really about making them feel good so then they can make us feel good with the words they say, and then we'll say something even better, and then they'll say something, and it just starts to get a little, <coughs> you know. <laughs> no, it's about outdoing one another and showing honor. And in the Bible, we have these examples of showing honor means putting someone else at the head of the table. It means putting someone else in a place that's higher than yours. It's honoring what their needs are more than our own needs in that moment for the sake of the family of God. And honoring one another above yourself takes a whole lot of self-control. It takes being intentional. It takes pausing long enough to recognize the good in another person. Brave enough to say it aloud your appreciation, your gratitude, and your support. And, and if no one is noticing this honor system or this honoring of one another within your circle in the body of Christ, my guess is it's not being done enough. If no one's recognizing that the family of God looks like people who love one another and love the family at large, the family who believes in Christ and, and is going to spend all eternity with them, if they don't seem to love one another, then chances are people are going to say, hmm, not interested, not what I'm looking for. But when we continue to stand on the truth, but also love and honor others above ourselves in a way that, that is kind and shows the fruit of the Spirit, something happens. People start to notice. And if it was important enough for Jesus to say, you, they'll know you by your love, then I think it's important enough for us as a church family to say, hey, we want people to know who we are and know what we believe, then they should see us in loving relationship with one another 
in honoring others above ourselves. When I think of brothers and sisters on a journey together, this is what I actually Googled. Oh, they put it up before. I actually Googled it to say brothers and sisters in a car, and this is the first image that came up. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. If we really are a family, Jesus knew that ahead of time that there's things that would be naturally happening in family, that people would, would be like a, a brothers and sisters arguing in the back seat. It's so funny because when, uh, when we announced, it's not, it was horrible, it was sad, but when we announced Pastor John Mark and Pastor Natalie leaving, people were like, oh, so like things weren't going good. No, actually, they're the opposite. This church family, this staff, we're a family that were actually, they love each other so much. They hang out. We went out for lunch together this last week. Thank you to church family for helping to cover those expenses. But we went out for a, a nice, modest lunch together. And we had a great time. During that meeting, Mal decided to text me through Stephanie to say, I'm going to be late for our one o'clock. He was sitting beside me at the table when he did this. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is what it should look like. Honoring one another above each other, loving one another, taking the good, the bad, the ugly, but it's, it's too often with the family of God that we see more discord than unison or unity. And the family of God must measure its success by its ability to show love well and especially, the Bible says, to other family members. I'm so glad that we are in a church family that feels like a family. You have welcomed us as, as, as newcomers to this church family, and we have felt more than welcomed, and we want to thank you for that. But let's not just do that for the people who come and go in a staffing position. No, let's do that with the people who've been by your side for many years, the people who are new and want to be part of this church family expression for many years. Let's love one another well because that's what characterizes the family of God according to scripture. So the, the next thing I would ask is what makes it work? Colossians 3 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Chosen people, patient, clothe, with, clothe yourself with kindness, gentleness, bear with one another. There's a commitment that we're called to as believers of God and a part of the family of God and our commitment is to one another and it must flow from our walk with God, I believe. That's what makes it work. I mean, if you're having trouble with a church family member or someone else in the larger family of God, perhaps just take some extra moment to work on this relationship vertically between you and Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit to work on that relationship, he, being in tune with God so that when you're working out the relationships this way, horizontally, that you're able to walk in according to the Spirit to reflect what it says about clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. See, the Bible provides us with theology and philosophy of how to live as a believer, but it also provides some best practices as well, especially for doing life as a believer. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not taking much time on this today because we really do want to honor our family member who is moving to another family, family of God in some capacity. The same family, but just moving 
households. You know, it's kind of like when your kid goes to college, <laughs> but they're kind of grown up, so they're not kids. But they're still moving from one spot to another. But the Bible gives us some examples of what we can do when we do get in those moments. When we find that we can't find an, uh, a center, uh, an even ground, a, a common ground. Matthew 18 says this, if your brother or sister sins, I mean, it doesn't mean if your brother and sister get on your nerves or your brother and sister said something that is just not necessarily all true, but not against the Bible. But it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you you have won them over. Way to go. But if they do not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, remember this is early church. This is where like everything's really temperamental. Like you you just wanna make sure that we're doing this right. We're in this for the long haul. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. May I remind you how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors? It's like start all over again. Pray for them. Work through what it means to be a believer with them all over again. Start over. It's a different take, isn't it? But we are called to be like Jesus. And he says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector because truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And there are sometimes offenses that will happen in church family life. And as of right now, I don't know of any that are going on, which means I'm just not as connected as you are. (laughs) But it's best to deal with them sooner or later in a way that is God-honoring and honors the scripture's reference. And our commitment to love each other, let me wrap things up with this. Our commitment to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ not only benefits this generation, but it benefits the generations to come. Some of you still have a bad taste in your mouth about the family of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, whatever you want to call it, the taste is still there that's a little bitter. And I'll tell you, it's because one generation and their way of walking out the family of God affects the next generation, how they walk out the family of God. And I don't know about you, but if you have any dysfunction in your family, you'll know you may have you may have come to some kind of agreement in your mind that that generation did the best they could. Now it's your time to step up and show what a family is all about. That's the choice we have. And if we walked and talked and listened to our brothers in Christ, as if the next part of that scripture was really true, that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is with them. If we walked and talked with our brothers and sisters in Christ as if Jesus himself was in the room, uncomfortably close to us, 
we would likely always put our best foot forward in genuine love rather than the easiest route. We would always put our best foot forward. Why? Because we knew the Spirit of God was at at work. We know the Spirit of God delights in unity between brothers and sisters. And we must remember the part where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them as well. And guess what? This family has the best thing going for it. Do you know what that is? It's not the buildings. It's not the preacher. It's not the great music. It's not any other things. It's the fact that Jesus himself is at the the core of this family unit. We are co-heirs with Christ. He's with us at the dinner table. He's with us at the difficult times when we have to say goodbye and change direction. He's with us in the times when we are grieving, in the times that we are rejoicing. He's with us, and he knows that we're not perfect. But he also wants to remind us that we are loved. The family of God, it's a work in progress, but Jesus is at the heart of the family. And this is what I love about the family of God. I love that there's a context in which we can grow in our faith as individuals. Like a little girl sitting, standing, not quite comprehending everything, but knowing that she loves Jesus, making a choice to follow him, so are each of us responsible for our own decision to follow after Jesus, to obey what his word says. We're responsible as individuals to respond to the love and forgiveness of Christ. But he chooses to do that in the midst of the collection of God's people, which he chooses to call family. So glad we're a family. So glad we're a part of the family of God. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me for a moment as we close this part of the service in prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I just want to pray over what's been said today, that it would take seal, would, God would place a seal on your hearts regarding your role in the family of Christ, the family of God. And if there's anyone here today who has not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, we want you to know it's an open invitation that you can accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that makes you a part of the family. You've been redeemed and covered by the blood of Christ for whatever sin, no sin is too far gone, that the miracle of grace can't come in and bring forgiveness and wholeness again. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for Calvary Church, God, and we thank you that you are speaking to us about being one Calvary. Understanding that one Calvary is part of one church, which is the big church, the the church of God. No particular denomination, no particular building or, or people, but we are a part of this bigger family of those who love and call on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And because of that, Lord, we know that we have a place. But we also have a responsibility in the family of God. So we pray, God, whatever your Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now about the way and manner which we speak to one another, about the grievances we may have or have been holding on to 
for someone else in the family of God that we'd let that go and find forgiveness and reconciliation. God, would you help us to function in a way that will make a difference for the next generation and the generation after that? And God, we trust you. We trust you for what you're doing in the family right now. We trust you, God, that you have our best interests at heart and that you've ordered our steps even as a church family. And so today, as we prepare to say goodbye to Pastor John Mark and Pastor Natalie, we pray you'd all, we'd also comfort one another as a family. We'd rejoice in the things that we can't yet see going to unfold. And Lord, that we would come together in a way that shows others, Lord, that the family of God is for keeps. That we love one another, we honor one another above ourselves, and we commit to praying for one another through every season and every change in the family. So we love you, God, and we give this rest of the service back to you, even as we look to honor our staff members. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.